Hey folks, welcome back to the Grad Life Podcast. Today I've got a good friend, Rachel Brown. Thanks for joining. Thank you for having me, Mark. Rachel is an interesting fish. She is an actress, she is a fashion designer, and she's a very creative person. And she is excited and nervous to be with us today. <laughs> yeah, I'm very nervous. Um, I said on this podcast a couple of weeks ago that when people leave, when people are in school, everyone is swimming in the same direction. They tend to have three destinations, social, academic and sport or you know whatever pursuit it is art whatever when they leave school they go into college everybody freaks out because they see and this even happens even more when people leave college because you'll see friends start running in a direction and you start asking yourself hang on i don't have a direction where should i be running the way you talk about your time in ucd straight out of secondary school you went into ucd and studied english it sounds exactly like that you kind of did it because you felt like you should have had a direction is that fair yeah, that's fair. Um, I suppose I kind of, I didn't know what I wanted to do, so I, and I knew I wasn't going to get a good leaving source. Right. So I kind of put down something that I kind of thought I could get in at a swing. Um, I also knew I wanted to stay in Dublin because at the time I was playing netball for Ireland and that's where that was. And that was the only kind of rock thing I had going on for me at the time. So I knew I had to stay in Dublin. I wasn't going to get a good leaving cert. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I always liked English in school. I was never very good at it, which I probably should have paid more attention to when picking what I wanted to do. But um, I picked it. It didn't work. Um, and I dropped out, I don't know, like within like a couple of weeks. A couple of weeks. Yeah. What would have like, not just those couple of weeks, obviously the couple of weeks surrounding it. Mm. Is it a really hard and pressurized time? It's, it's obviously very confusing. You feel probably directionless. What what's it like going through that? Um, it's very lonely. Um, I think it's because well, I found it lonely because all my other friends were not dropping out and doing things and doing them well and doing their assignments and getting them in and like for love nor money could I navigate the arts block in UCD, let alone get an assignment in on that blackboard thing. So that was really difficult for me and also because none, nobody else it didn't seem like anybody else was going through it i didn't want to go through it so i kind of buried my head in the sand and i felt like i didn't have anybody to talk to because i didn't even know what i was going through at the time i suppose like yeah i just kind of thought i was abnormal because it wasn't working for me but then when i dropped out it was like this huge weight off my shoulder. It was like, you don't have to do this anymore. And just and like breaking through that wall type thing or getting out of the, the cage of expectation. Yeah, is, is exactly. Yeah, it, was like okay. a, it was like a horrible cage of expectation. And I just kind of thought, this, this is it. Now, this is it. This is the rest of my life. This is what I have to do. I have to keep doing this like academic course that you're really bad at and you don't actually enjoy anymore. And then I came home one weekend to my parents and I was saying this to my mum and she was like, Rach, like, you don't have to do this. And I never allowed myself to think that there was another option because everybody I surround myself with or like all my friends happen to be professionals. Like, mm. um, they're great people and they're creative in their own right. But I didn't grow up with like artists or create you know creatives in in that kind of sense of the word around me so i didn't know that that was an option as a career path so when my mom was like look why don't you drop out and we'll find something else for you 
and that was the first time I allowed myself my brain to even go there and so then she just like got all my bits of art that I'd ever done in my life and we just went around every art school in Dublin wow yep and um, I got into a few of them and it was a toss-up between fashion in Griffith or animation in Ballymun I think it was and I don't know just the fashion course was just kind of I kind of felt when I walked in I, it just felt right and I'm somebody who has to go with my gut like um, if it doesn't feel right I'll run 100 miles yeah um, and I remember when I was offered a job in fashion it was like one of my first internships and this guy offered me a job and it was not in designing it was like in production or something and I knew it wasn't what I wanted to do and I just had this bad feeling about it and everybody I spoke to was like you have to take that job you will never get another job in fashion yeah. it just doesn't happen and I didn't take that job and they're like there was this like traumatic incident that happened in that workplace and like it's not doing well now at all and I was just thinking like if I had been there you know not enjoying myself for six months and then this the company goes tits up I know I think I just have a good gut yeah yeah gut feeling for those okay things. one step back one step forward both yeah. of which are tied together by that good feeling mm. so that idea of the uh what do we call it, cage of expectation is a huge yep. thing mm. and it's usually made up of parental pressure societal pressure and maybe peer-to-peer -peer pressure as well yep i would recommend to a lot of young people i did it with a job you did it with a college course to break that as soon as you can take some decision that goes against the grain of expectation mm. that empowers you so much the cage removes power from you breaking it empowers you and then you trust your gut and you start to make your own decisions in life you become an independent thinker which i'm always banging on about so that's one thing in a step back step forward is you went into griffith and you you, you studied fashion and you kind of learned to trust your gut and there's one example already of how mm. it paid off for you down the line being able to follow your gut when people hear of people studying fashion a lot of people want to do it people have different opinions or, or kind of perceptions of not opinions because they're not informed at all but perceptions of what it's like to study fashion. Mm. What do you actually study? I've heard a lot of people tell me I should study fashion um, well, so oh. I can improve. Oh, I see. In that sense. Well, I wouldn't. Yeah, they're probably <laughs> right. Um, well, whenever I told anybody, I got incredibly defensive because, um, you know, a lot of the time people were like, oh, like, what? Like, had to dress yourself or like, do you ever go in? And. I was like, yeah, of course I go in. Like, I'm a really hard worker. You were incredibly driven. You were always up at like six into mm. the gym. Then, yeah, you were doing loads of things. Um, I think a lot of that, like, you know, first of all, I loved it. I really enjoyed the course. And second of all, I knew I had to make it. There was just no option for failure. Like, because I had already failed in UCD, um, I kind of felt this, this is not fair to turn around to my parents and be like, Mm, sorry like mm. this didn't work either um so i worked really really hard and what do you learn in fashion so you learn like you know physically how to make clothes which is really really handy um i still make a lot of my own clothes now and um, you've been making masks during covid and i was making masks uh during covid and then you learn so the the most useful thing that i learned in griffith that you don't learn in a lot of other like really creative colleges like 
St. John's St. Martin's and at the time when I was in Griffith who didn't learn it in NCAD, I don't know if that's changed now, um, was like Photoshop, Illustrator, InDesign, Lightroom, all these like computer courses where you draw everything online. Yeah. So like in my job now, um, the only reason like I got it was because I was really good at those skills. Whereas like a lot of people applying for the, the internship didn't have those skills. And so that's what I learned that kind of set me apart. That's what was actually fantastic about the Griffith College course was the computer side of things, because a lot of people just focus on the creativity and like how to make clothes and patterns, which is like a phenomenal skill. But the reality of getting a job where you need that over the computer skills is yeah very very slim the word indulgent comes to mind here are some of these courses that don't cover this stuff mm. where people are merely just doing raw pure fashion which is kind of like what they like doing they're mm. really indulging a passion of theirs but they're not getting outside their comfort zone and studying the technological side which they mightn't be inclined towards at all yeah but it's just unfortunately a practical part of getting a job indulgent mightn't be a fair word to use but mm. there's some element of that and some element that Griffith kind of pushes you outside your comfort zone into the tech side. Um, I don't know if it's like being pushed out of your comfort zone. Um, but I do think courses that don't include that. It's, do you know, I don't want to sound like I know everything and I'm like mm. princess of fashion, but I would argue it's a little bit naive because, um, you know, I know a lot of people who work in fashion because I work in fashion. So, and, and we all work on the same things, which is Illustrator and Photoshop. And I think if you advertise a course that's going to like help you get a job in the future and you don't teach those things, that's putting your students at a huge disadvantage because yeah. I won't even look at your CV if it comes across my desk looking for an internship if you don't have these skills. Yeah. So you might spend loads of money on an amazing course and you are the most creative person in the world. But if you can't do like a basic trouser on can't draw a basic trouser on the computer you're no use to me yeah um and that is the case with like everywhere that that i know people who work in so so there's going to be people listening to this now who are thinking finally an insight into how to get a job at fashion mm. uh what are your warnings and tips to them regarding upskilling and i mightn't understand half the words you use but this is more no, for them and... um i would say learn photoshop and learn illustrator you don't need to know them inside out and back to front. You just need to know how to use them. Um, if you can do basic pattern making, uh, which means making your own clothes, like basic stuff, that's always an advantage, um, but not necessarily like absolutely needed. Also, a lot of people I work with don't didn't study fashion like um, are head of men's a couple of years ago didn't study fashion just kind of really enjoyed it was like this fantastically well-dressed man and i think westford is different in that sense because it's more of like um a family than a company is kind of how i would describe it but um yeah like if you can just bang together a portfolio you don't need to have gone to a college or mm. a university at all you know, yeah, I'm not okay. saying it's a waste of time, but I'm saying like you you could do it in six months or less. You could do it in three months. You can learn something really fast like that. And YouTube is great. Like I still use YouTube 
if I don't know how to do something on Illustrator. Right. Um, I would just get it up, learn, and then carry on. And this stuff will give you a huge advantage in getting a job in fashion once you graduate. One hundred percent. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What else could they be doing to make that happen? Um. So what I did, I wasn't getting a response from anybody. So I wrote down a list of all the designers in London. I wanted to work with and I found out who were the head of menswear through LinkedIn and I wrote them letters like handwritten letters and is menswear easier to get a start in or is that a particular interest both okay it was like a strategical change I really enjoyed it but also women's wear is like yeah crowded yeah so and also Westwood is like it's pretty much a unisex company so you're designing for men but you're you know you know like we did loads of skirts this season to be sold in a men's store so you know it's a unisex company but um what was I saying yeah so so that's what I did I wrote a letter to everybody I wanted to work with I put my cv in there and a um small bit of my work and I just sent it off to everybody. And I said, like, why I wanted to work in those companies. It wasn't just, hi, blah, 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 blah. And then I just got a an email back from Westwood. Like, I remember getting it. And I had to read it a few times because I was like, what on earth is happening here? Because I just never thought that I was somebody who could work for this really cool company. And I've been there, like, five years. And I still am like, holy shit. Like, <laughs> when are they going to find me out and kick me out? But um, so I let, wrote a letter to Francis, who was at the time our head of menswear, and he asked me to come for an interview, and I came for an interview, and then they gave me the internship, and I was there for, I don't know, like what, twelve weeks, and then, like, I left for a month because, uh, they weren't hiring anyone, and then out of the blue, my now boss. Uh, Michael, he just sent me a text saying like, hi, I hope you remember me. Um, it's Michael. Um, I need an assistant designer. Would you like the job? Like, would I like the job? Like, come that's on, unreal. come on, fucking like the job. But um, yeah, so then that's how I did it. So, and then I was talking to Francis, the guy I wrote the letter to, like once I like plucked up the courage to speak to him. Um, and he was like, yeah, I just never got a letter before. So it just was like, this is pretty cool. You know, because everybody gets emails. I get so many emails a day from loads of university students. And we don't really hire that many in my certain team. Like, I'll just send them off to HR or, yeah. like, the relevant departments. But, um, yeah, I think just writing that letter kind of turned things in my favour. And then mm. once I had the foot in the door, that's when I was like... So, w one thing a friend of mine always says is, Oh God, now I've forgotten it. Um, you know, opportunity is when luck meets preparation. Yeah. Or maybe the word is an opportunity or something. But um, you know, I was so prepared for that job. I knew, you know, everything about Illustrator that I could, and everything about Photoshop, and I worked really hard. And the opportunity came up, and I worked my ass off for the internship. And you know, people notice, people notice when, I notice when interns are the first in and the last to leave and come up to you saying, what's next? How, what can I do now? What can I do now? Rather than coming in late and kind of like taking a three hour lunch, you know, you, you know, you've, 
it might not seem like you people notice but people notice when you work hard and I did work hard and then I was lucky enough to get a job there yeah well so you say a couple of things uh opportunity happens you've made me forget it opportunity happens when preparation meets luck yeah one thing you did say it but like you couldn't deserve more credit for it's just working your ass off and not just in that internship but to get like all the way up through college i always noticed how hard you worked it was actually actually very inspiring so it's a huge thing that people might take for granted here or or not notice like Mm -hmm. rachel is literally probably the hardest working person i know from any industry so that's uh that's a huge credit to you uh being perpetually prepared you could have been dragged off you could have been pulled out of a nightclub at 3 a.m for an interview during those years and you still would have been prepared you would have just been ready to bam 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 all mm. the things that like you were eat sleeping breathing this stuff that is the state that people would need to get to when they're going for a job as competitive as this in an industry as competitive as this um like i suppose when you say that now that sounds kind of like that would freak me out if i was somebody because I did work really hard, but that's because I felt like I had so much to prove. Um, I think now if I was to do it again, maybe I'd take my foot off the gas a tiny bit. But I think, I think it's really important to work as hard as you can and then also have a break. Like for my final year, I was going in on Saturday and Sunday as well. And looking back, I wish I'd given myself the freedom to take the weekend off not that like i don't know if i would have got everything done i just think i would have enjoyed it a lot more and i did enjoy it but there's so many things i missed out on that i didn't have to you know i put myself under so much pressure that i didn't have to and i do think it's really important to work hard but i think it's equally as important to you know sit back and relax and I really believe that like what's for you won't pass you. And now that I'm like, I want to be an actress now, so I'm moving into acting because, you know, I only have one shot at doing everything I want to do. And I think that, you know, if you don't enjoy your journey, you're going to get to your end destination and it'll be so brief. Mm-hmm. And you know, what have you got to show for it? Like three years of really hard work and no weekends. Agreed. I mean, easier to say in hindsight now that you've arrived at the place you wanted to arrive when yeah. you're at that point. Uh, we were, I mentioned that at the dinner table the other day, that story about the boy, he was he wanted to go and see the, it's in The Alchemist, the book. Oh, a boy yeah. goes to this king who apparently knows everything and can tell yeah. you your whole life in a minute. And the boy goes up to the king and says, he goes to his house, goes up to him at the party and says, King, I've been queuing up to meet you. I'm on a minute so you can sort out my life. And the King says, here's a a teaspoon or a tablespoon full of water. Walk around the whole house. Don't drop it. Don't spill a drop. Come back to me with a full spoon of water and then I'll give you the key to your life. Boy walks around, goes up and down the stairs, watching every single step really carefully. Didn't spill a drop, comes back to the King and says, there you go. Now give me my minute. And the King says, which painting in the wall spoke to you the most? And the boy said, what do you mean? King says, all these paintings are the best paintings in the world. Which one spoke to you the most? The boy said, I didn't see any paintings. I was looking at the water and the spoon. And the king says, go around, don't spill a drop and make sure you watch every single painting. And when he came back to him, he said, okay, I did it. Now the key to my life. And the king says, you just figured it out. You need to walk around the whole house and enjoy every single painting and everything there is to enjoy. 
but also make sure you don't spill a drop of the spoon. And that's the challenge. That's the mm. whole thing. But you're kind of like the boy who came back the first time and didn't look at the paintings necessarily throughout yeah. your time in college. But you mm. got back, you did what needed to be done to get back with the mm. water on spilled. And it's a very hard thing to do to do both, if not impossible. Yeah, yeah definitely. And it's also like, I mean, hindsight is a great thing. Mm. But I mean, I don't know, like, like everybody, I'm just trying to like feel my way through and do my very best. Yeah. Like, but um, another thing you said that really stood out that you've taught to me and I've gotten value from already over the mm. last year as well is handwritten letters. Yeah. So everybody LinkedIn's people, mm. most people then on top of that, going a step further, email people. Mm. Some people then on top of that might send a video, but then on top That's of that one. again is mm. handwritten letters, I think. So people need to, particularly if you're going for a creative industry, people need to be yeah. creative in how they go about these things. Yeah, I think something um, handwritten is a little bit more personal. Um, mass emails, you can always tell a mass email. So like when I send an email to somebody, I always try and like make it sound personal. Mm. you know do my best to make it sound personal i'm an actor so like i kind of try and you know get into the headspace <laughs> of the yeah but um it's a big thing i think it's a great thing people can take away from uh mm. from this so you worked in vivian westwood for five years uh you're still in vivian westwood but you've now gotten this acting thing into your head and become mm. within the short time you've been doing it ridiculously successful and there's obviously a long road to go to get to the point that you yeah. want how did you get into acting how does anyone get into acting? Uh, did no, you do it in school? I, so I did, no, like they didn't really offer it as a yeah, okay. thing. Um, no, I did it when I was in school in England. Got you. And I, I absolutely loved it. And then I went to Ireland. They didn't offer it as a, um, like a subject in school. But I was, I went to the Gaiety like, um, I think twice a week when I was in fifth year. Um, and then I wasn't allowed to do it in sixth year because I had to study. Like that didn't turn out very well. But um, then... I auditioned to get into Trinity, into a the drama school there, and I didn't get in. And now, in my defense, I'll say that there wasn't like a performance-based part of the audition. It was like a theory test and something else. And like, I mean, I'm terrible at tests. So um, because I didn't get in, I was like, right, well, that's it. I, I won't do it anymore. I'm clearly not very good. And then I, you know, did the UCD thing. I did the Griffith thing. Uh, Griffith, I kind of had my head down for three years and it didn't come back up until the end. And then I, you know, did a couple of internships and then I got my job. And, but like all the while there was something in the back of my head that I was like, oh, I'd love to do acting. I'd love to, but I never like made any concrete steps towards it. And then just one day I was like, if you want to do this, Rachel, you have to do it now because like looking back on my life as like however old I am and when I'm dying the pain of not having given it a shot versus this the small pain now of like the rejections and the you know the missing family events because you have rehearsals or you know a short film or something it's only like that's only a small amount of pain compared to what I know I'll feel if I never did it mm. so I just found this like evening course that I would go to after work and then I just joined these websites like Backstage and Mandy like I'm sure people will know they are and I just started doing shorts and the first one I did was in Italy and that was so much How did you get fun. a job in Italy? 
Well, they just put it up and you want wanted um like English speaking actors, so she just flew this guy and I over to Italy for a week and that was the first like short film I ever did. So it's kind of like really feeling around in the dark. I had no idea what I was doing. And I just absolutely loved it. It was so much fun. And so I came back and like after my like Italian trip and I was like, this is this is just brilliant. But I kind of didn't know what I was doing. So then I applied to go to um Identity School of Drama, which is Identity School of Acting, um like a part time acting school that I could do also while staying employed in Westwood yeah so I do that twice a week um and that has that's really really helped me kind of know what I'm doing or know how to approach it but so um like formalized methods and techniques and all sorts of stuff when was that Italy trip that was at the beginning of 2018 2018 yeah and then I've only done two feature films one I was an extra but then like looking back now I was behind the camera I think it just a friend of mine was the producer of it so he's like yeah yeah come along and be an extra I actually wasn't in the film but I am in the credits but um and then another feature was like a um, met school students had to do a feature film for their final year and I just happened to be like one of the people in that right and then I've done I've done loads of shorts I think I've done like 11 shorts what's the McFly story the McFly story oh that one um so I was meeting my friend for lunch once on London Bridge, and this girl is always late. So um, I'm sorry. Where were you in your acting career at this stage? Where was I? 2018. 2018. This is the beginning of 2018, and I hadn't yet gotten into identity, and I think I'd just done the Italy film. So I was kind of walking around like, "Excuse me, I'm an actress." Like <laughs> I was flown to Italy last week to a student film, but um, there was this um filming going on in London Bridge so I just walked up to this guy and I was like hello what's what are you filming and he's just telling me it's this film and I was like can I be in it and he was like yeah you can do you want to come along tomorrow and be an extra and I was like yeah absolutely so I just rang up my boss because it was a Sunday and I was like look I can't come in tomorrow I you know I'm gonna be an extra in a film and like my boss is like super supportive like of, of anything like this you know because it's yeah. a creative thing and they're all creative people so they're like yeah go and do it so anyway, um i was an extra and i just got on really well with the producer his name is zach and the people in the film were dougie from mcfly and mike pointer who is what's that guy's name simon Pegg's brother right so um so they were in the film and i just got chatting like i knew dougie from mcfly from somewhere like i couldn't remember it was him and I was just chatting to him like while he was getting his makeup done and then I was chatting to the director and he was like that's Dougie from McFly and I was like oh Jesus like what should I say to him I probably said something really like I you know much preferred busted or something (laughs) so anyway we ended up going for dinner and it sounds like I'm about to start dating Dougie from McFly but I didn't um but just I don't know just like the three of us four of us myself Mike Dougie and Zach went for dinner and we just got on really well and then I was invited to the premiere of a film I wasn't actually in, but um, yes, yeah, so I still have a really good relationship with Zach, and um, that's the. But I think that's I, the thing I love about that is that you just were chatting. And you're like, "Can I be in it?" And then off you go, and then another credit yeah. to your name, etc. If you don't ask, the answer is always no. So exactly, it's a pretty cool mm. thing. So now you're you're in Italy. 
earlier this year again yes. mm. when, when you were in the paper for you were doing a movie in yeah. Italy just literally in the week mm. that it spiked madness yeah it was it was actually so cool that was another great great trip um so that was for a film called the heptameron and we were doing a film about a plague it just you know it was a, a mad coincidence which is why we got so much press but also because the film was great and i was great in it so because <laughs> it had been planned like a year before or something um he'd actually been writing it for two years so there was no preempting corona at all not a chance no yeah. way like so um yeah, so we were doing it, and then just like w- one of our friends who was helping making the film, you know, had a contact with Political Magazine, and we did an interview with them, and then like suddenly, the New York Times was um, emailing the director, being like, "Can we cover this as well?" So, um, like, it was just the weirdest thing. Like one day, I was just, you know, I woke up in Italy, and I was on set, and then I was talking to this guy, Alex Marshall from the New York Times, like. It was just the craziest, coolest week ever. And then um, I, w- I was in Irish Times as well. And then we flew out. I think we were the last flight out of Lombardy. And then the country went into lockdown. Absolute so madness. Yeah, we just got out. But um, yeah, that was like another... Like uh, after every time I come back from a short film, I go into work and I'm like, Jesus, like, why am I still here? Like, I just want to do this. Then I get like stuck into a project and work and I'm like, oh my God, this is so, you know, mm. like you talk about flow. Um, do you know, like my, my work is my hobby, which I'm extremely lucky because that's not always the case for everybody. And I, I never really love it. And my, my side project, which hopefully will take over, but you know, let's see, um, is another, you know, thing that I, that I absolutely adore. So, um, you say you're lucky, but you're reaping the reward of courage you took a lot more risk than people who went into business or accounting or anything like that. Like you, you really did. Yeah. I mean, there's no other way of putting it. You took a lot more risk. You took a lot more chance. And now you're reaping the reward of loving what you do every day. Mm. Uh, speaking of what you do every day, uh, a question people always ask about people who go into creative jobs mm. is to what extent, if at all, does it get bastardized? Uh, you know, like yeah. I love baking cakes. I open a bakery within three weeks. I hate baking cakes. Yeah. It's all I do and I have to do it for other people. <laughs> so like, what's that like in work? What like as a designer, what do you actually do every day? Is it, uh, yeah. again, that, that analogy of baking cakes is that someone loves baking cakes and uh, he or she bakes cakes all day and then they do well and then they stop baking cakes and yeah. they just do the books mm. and it's totally bastardized. They don't even get to do what they love anymore. So what's it like when you're actually a designer? Do you design all day? What do you do all day? Um. So... You know, I can only speak from my experience in Westwood, which um, is not every day, but like most days is a creative day. Sometimes like leading up to a deadline of, so I, um, I do menswear, I do accessories and I do graphics. That's all part of my job. So um like leading up to a deadline would be loads and loads of creativity, very intense time period. So it could be like a month and a half, but for that month and a half, I could be sewing, draping, painting, drawing. Um, what else do I do? Like going on inspiration trips through London, shopping. Um, Shopping's part of your job. Well, like, you know, we would go in to these like really cool secondhand shops or these um there's this really cool 
um, what's it called? I can't remember the name of it, but um, I remember when we went in, he, your man was just like, oh, you've just missed Kanye. Because Kanye, Kanye West comes to London to do inspirational tri- trips as well. And this is one of the places he comes to. And um, so that was so annoying. But I, like, even if I had seen him, I probably would have just like stood in the corner. But um, so we just go to these like really cool secondhand shops and like vintage shops and have a look and like, do you know, see what like details we like, what shapes we like, what colors we like, what fabrics we like. And then we would like take all this stuff and we give it to our fabric and research development people. And or like, you know, you do a painting and you'd scan it in and you'd fix it on Photoshop and then you make that into an artwork and then you send that off and you That's might mad. drape something, take a picture of it and send that off and then people the pattern makers make that and it comes yeah and then so after that when you've done all that creative process and you sent your final email of this is all the files for the work then they start sending you the sample so there's like a nice little couple of weeks like maybe Mm. two weeks of a lull um and then you start into like the first approvals and you have to like go through everything that you sent that they've sent back like as a next step this in your life is the japanese yeah, the Japanese yeah. license. So we send everything to Japan. They do a first trial. They send it to us. And we say, yes, no, maybe so. And then you just kind of keep laying out from that until like you finally get to a yes, both parties like it. Go. So A lot of negotiating? Um, sometimes. Sometimes. Because like, and this is where it comes into your thing of like, where does it become bastardized? It's with the sales. Because obviously you have to make money mm. to be business. So... You know, what sells really well, you know, is a simple white T-shirt with an orb on it, which is our logo, the Westwood orb. But as a creative person, (laughs) that's extremely sad. So like, you know, we'd be like, no, we don't want the orb. You know, we want this really cool artwork that would be, you know, really cool and not just an orb. And they'd be like, no, an orb sells. So you can't, there's a bit of like, fine, you can have this, this, if we can have this thing over here, like a really cool jacket that we draped or something yeah so in that sense there's a bit of to and fro and i mean at the end of the day yeah like you you know money money talks so yeah. it's whatever really the customer wants and the customer wants to play in white t-shirt with an orb but um there are some people who you know like the kind of quirkier stuff but that's interesting uh, really quick two questions hours yeah. and autonomy are they good for is fashion good for both um my boss is German and he is extremely talented and extremely efficient. So when we have to do work, we're working and we usually leave at six. Do you know, I'm in at like eight. Yeah. We work the whole day and we leave at six. There's only been a few occasions in Westwood that I've had to ever stay right. late or work on the weekend. Um, what do you mean by autonomy? Asking for someone on your ass saying, "Do it this way, don't do it that way." This is what you're meant to be doing for this hour. Then you go on to that. Do you own your own schedule? Do you own your own creativity? Um, yeah, but I think that is actually quite unique with my boss because he is like, "I really like the work you do. Go and do it." I suppose if I was someone who like wasn't able to keep up with my own deadlines, then maybe he'd be yeah, a little okay. bit more like yeah. this. Then, but um, no, like and everything I design that like does well or something. You know, he'd always turn to me and be like, "Like that's great, Rach. Like you designed that. That did really well." Or like, "Look at this person who's wearing your stuff." Um, brilliant to have such creative license. In that yeah, environment. it is. It's really nice, a, and a it's also wouldn't. like, it's nice to get 
recognition from from your boss I suppose like it's it's really cool when he turns around and like because he goes to Japan a lot and if he sees somebody wearing something that like I designed or something he'd always take a picture and send it back to me and yeah. which is really cool when mm. you know you're not just you don't not see your work in on the street yeah the reason I wanted to jump into all those questions really quickly is because as you were talking about the whole thing kind of being bastardized and designs and etc mm. uh is there like a vision for the world that you have where people would all dress a lot more colorfully? Like, is there any oh sort of God. element of frustration or whatever there? Because you see, like, you see someone like me dressing in just like white t-shirts or shirts or whatever, and you'd be like, oh, God damn, if only you wear a rainbow top or whatever it is. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think just, you know, if everyone would wear a rainbow top. No, um, <laughs> no, like, I love designing clothes. Do I dress well? No, I don't dress. You know, like if I had to, yeah, I probably do. But like nine to five, I mean, I've been wearing these leggings since March almost. <laughs> like So mm-hmm. I don't, you know, what people wear, I don't care. I think it's more interesting. Do you know, I like when my dad comes down and he is wearing a Hawaiian shirt with his broken straw hat, swimming togs and odd socks. Like, I, I think that's great. Like, mm-hmm. um you know variety is the spice of life but um your brother actually exclusively wears odd socks as well which is a coincidence maybe yeah well he's very fashionable so um um is there when you work in the vivian westwoods of the world is there pressure to be fashionable is there pressure to show up looking cool and creative and whatever or do you all just go in in your bloody pajamas and everybody's forgiven um no i suppose there's not pressure but like a lot of people do enjoy wearing you know, next season vêtement or whatever. Like, so there are like the extremely cool people in the office. Like it's by and large, it's always the buyers and they're like really cool and they wear cool stuff. And then I would like to say, because I'm talking about myself now, the designers a little bit more laid back and like a little bit more like, come on, like let's just wear runners. But I think that's just me. Um, A lot of the designers I work with do dress really well. Like I don't dress like a slob in work. Um, but I am definitely not the best dressed person there, but nobody really cares. Yeah. Okay. Do you know, uh, we've had a buyer on here before. What is the difference between the, like, so we know because you've both explained your roles now, mm. but like, I don't know, do buyers want to be designers? Do designers want to be buyers? What's the relationship like between them? Uh, I wanted to be a buyer at one stage. Right. Um, is one more prestigious than the other? What's the career path like? That sort of thing. I don't know if one is more prestigious than the other um the career path buying is um from my experience of trying to do is a lot more maths orientated um i went for an interview in harvey nicks just because my cousin had a friend who worked there and she was like look just do the interview and you can get an it like she'll give you the internship mm. don't worry about it um and the interview included a test and it was 50 questions, 50 maths questions, and I got zero out of 50. No so then she was like, look, I would have taken you on, but you got no questions right. So I, I just can't, which is totally fair. But obviously, like at the time, I was just like, how did I get no questions right? Like not even my name. But um, I don't know what the difference between buying and designing is. I know that they buy... Jesus, I'm going to sound so stupid now. I know that they buy clothes like that. They, they, uh, the, we had someone on before. She was saying they, 
essentially try to preempt what's going to sell. Yes. And yeah, they yeah. buy based off of that. Yeah. So when we do, we design the thing, whatever the thing is called, the collection, and then we present it to buyers. I've never had to do it, but I'm like, I would go to the, to the buying presentations. And what you do is you explain the collection to the buyers. And there's this great website called WGSN. It's a fashion forecasting website. WGSN. Yeah. What's going to sell next? Maybe. Probably. Possibly. Anyway, go on. I don't know what it means. Anyway, so, and it's really expensive to, you couldn't have it as an individual, but as a company you can have gotcha. it. And it's a fashion forecasting website and they predict, Pantone is another company, they predict the colors and from that WGSN predicts what's going to happen. So is it going to be like military themes or is it going to be like aqua and like in like all the, di like men's, women's, sports, in all the different realms of fashion, what's going to be cool and what should like how should you be designing now we don't really conform to that because um vivian likes to do her own thing and you know get inspiration from like the book she's reading or like what she's seen on the streets or whatever but um it is a handy thing to have wsn because then you're designing and you're able to compete with like other brands that are doing similar things that mm. so in case yours is just like way off and nobody wants to wear military stuff this season because everybody is obsessed with under the sea um i think that's maybe where buying oh my god where have i even gone i think that's kind of where buying comes in it's different yeah. like they're like right well that's great for that but like we need to buy this this and this for this this and this for yeah okay mm -hmm. you guys seem to play a little more in the abstract oh yeah definitely for sure and then it's kind of yeah. i don't know it's kind of like a what are those cars called? You know, sometimes they put out cars, like they put out one of them that will nobody will ever drive. It's a uh, concept car. Oh a lot God. of this is, is yours kind of like concept clothing that um, are just like mad clothing that are fascinating to, I've just heard this is what they do at fashion yeah. shows. I didn't, I wasn't aware. I thought well, that would be like more couture. Couture is more okay. like to be like, look at our brand. Now come and buy the ready to wear. Gotcha. But some people buy couture. I don't know anyone who does, but, um, like when we when I would go down to the Couturier department in our building, they would be making like, you know, one random piece for like this really rich person in Tunisia. Russia or something or Tunisia. Um, you know, so some people buy it. A lot of people don't. But it is more like to kind of be like, look at our brand buy our ready to wear. Yeah, that would be fun um, to design for. Like that would just be outrageous. It is absolutely mad. It's really cool. But I thought Westwood did a bit of that as well. No. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like our couture line is run by Andreas, who's Vivian's husband. And that stuff is absolutely mad. It's really cool. And it's so like, it is so weird. And he's the sole designer for that Pepe Hilton. Okay. And then, um, but then I suppose in our ready-to-wear stuff, some of it would be, maybe it's because I've been there for so long, I'm like, well, that's not mad. But I suppose mm, you wouldn't see it every day, some yeah. of the ready-to-wear stuff. And also, like, the styling is kind of mad. Like, we'd um, Evian bottle, water bottle shoes at one thing, which was actually really dangerous. But, um, and roses on their lips, and it was really cool. But, yeah, yeah, it was, it was kind of mad. It's a very mm. interesting, yeah, it's very interesting. Place. So my summary mm -hmm. would be that a buying career is a business career. It's negotiations, it's trend prediction, it's, uh, mm. you know, also, it's very commercial. Probably not very, but fairly commercial given the context. Designer is an artistic career, mm. predominantly. Yeah. 
I, yeah, definitely. Like, I mean, you probably can tell by my answers I'm all over the place because I'm not very business minded. <laughs> I think your but... maths results probably gave it away. So embarrassing. But so, like, a designer like you, yeah, uh, in 20 years, probably has their own line, ideally, or is still just designing couture. Like, is there a ladder? Um, well, I suppose you could go in as an assistant, then become a junior designer, then a senior designer. And then if you wanted to open up your own brand, like more power to you. I personally don't want to. Uh, I never have. And like, I do enjoy making my own clothes, but I like freak out when anybody asks me to make something for them. And because I also like, I'm a huge people pleaser. I hate to, I hate to say no. Mm. So like, if somebody asked me to make something like, I usually would say yes. And then it would like age me 10 years because you know, I, I want to do a good job, but also like I don't like having to like make things perfectly because I'm not able to do it very well. Um, you know, I can design stuff, but somebody else makes it for me. So, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Funny. I would never um, my own line. When people are going back, when people are writing their handwritten letters, they'll be yeah. asking for AD, JD roles. They won't be asking for anything. Like, be specific. You'll ask for an assistant designer or a junior designer. Oh, um, no. Ask for an assistant designer role or ask for an internship. Oh, sorry, of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. Paid internship to be expected or unpaid? I am sorry, but in fashion, no way. Unpaid. Mad. Yeah. Uh, God, it's such a tough... You're in, like, two two really tough industries. Like, it's very hard. Well, why not? But, uh, not? yeah, so far, so good. Inspirational stuff, right? Yeah. Uh, before we let you go, four <laughs> oh, yeah. key questions, which I gave you no warning on. Yes. Yeah. Quotes. Books, quotes, what you wish you did in college, and an idol to keep in mind. Okay, a book... Um, Okay, so my two favourite books are a book I've just finished called Daring Greatly by Brene Brown. Oh yeah, she's brilliant. Yep. And also I Am Pilgrim. I haven't read that. heard a lot about it. It is so good. Bonus question, just to knock you off balance. Any good resources for people wanting to do fashion? So, I mean, YouTube. Yeah, YouTube okay. has everything. Yeah, mm. nice. Uh, quotes. A quote. Um, just do it. Okay, very uh, creative and good to see your designer. Yeah. Uh, something you wish you didn't catch? Um, oh my God. I suppose now, at this stage, acting. Yeah. But then I wouldn't have had this crazy ride with Westwood, so no. Acting, yeah, no, I wish I did acting. Yeah, me too, yeah. goddammit. I want to be an actor. But I'm going to be one of those old man actors with okay. uh, no grey hair or no hair yeah one of those yeah. <laughs> and an idol <laughs> whose family don't show up to his shows yeah an idol um okay I don't have any idols because I don't hang on Nikki Brown your mother woman think she's brilliant I stand by what I said before <laughs> <laughs> I didn't um, know she's listening I don't have any idols just because like I don't think one person embodies like everything of, of what I want but also like let's say your idol was like do you know at the moment like Ellen and then all this stuff comes out mm. about her and then like where does that leave you if this was your idol so like I take a lot from loads of different people do you know so yeah mum is great at like people like if I am in a situation where I'm a little bit uncomfortable and it, there's a lot of people then I'm like okay I just have to tend to be my mum for like half an hour mm hard work my dad is an extremely hard worker and i grew up with him and his really strong work ethic so like my dad maybe my brother tommy 
like I've never seen anybody with a stronger moral compass in my life which is extremely irritating growing up when you don't have one and you like want to do something mean like or you know you want to throw litter on the ground um yeah so I don't know my my friends are huge supports I've seen them go through like really tough things and come out the other end so like little snippets of that um so many different people like I don't want to like not say anybody and also like I just keep finding little different things and I forget a lot of stuff I want to slag you for saying that answer is useless to people but it's actually not because it will get people looking at people closer to them rather than further away I think that's very useful yeah Rachel Brown keep designing keep acting thank you very much thanks very much Mike